Hello, all you Lasso fans. This is Peanut Butter and Biscuits, the Ted Lasso fan cast from NPR Illinois Community Voices. I'm your host, Craig, joined today by my co-host, Mr. Jeremy Geckner. Hello, everyone. I just want you all to know it will be okay. We will get through this together. And uh, if you're thinking of torching Nick Muhammad, just don't. Just don't, guys. We'll, we'll, we'll talk to him about it, okay? Absolutely. And we are so excited to talk about the finale, and we're excited to have a guest on to speak about the finale as well. Uh, we've known her for a while, and she has had so many prolific podcasts, articles, everything out there on the internet. She is probably the best follow on Twitter ever. Hell yeah. Welcome, Courtney Inlow. How are you? I am wonderful. Thank you for having me. I am so happy to be here. I, you know what? <laughs> we're going to get through this together. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Not we Nate. are going to Nate, invert that, that guy, pyramid but... of success. Every, every turn has a heel <laughs> and that's okay. Man, man, oh man. For all my WWE fans, this is, this is Vince McMahon. This is Mr. <laughs> McMahon level heel that we're dealing with here. My God. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is absolutely incredible uh, what we are going to be discussing in this finale. I do want to take care of a bit of housekeeping before we do. And that's just to say thank you. You know, last week we had yeah. mentioned uh, we asked you, please leave a review on Apple. We asked you to send us emails because we wanted to know where you were listening from. We were doing the whole Twitter thing. All those are still very relevant. We'd still love you to do all those things. You can follow us on Twitter, PBBFRN. Um, and we had so many responses to all those things. So I want to just do a really quick recap of some of those. I did want to mention that we had an email uh, sent in by Tom and Tom is a man after my own heart because <laughs> he sent us a, a very nicely worded email about how this is basically Aaron Sorkin level writing. And that's why he loves Ted Lasso because he sees some of the parallels in the dialogue and the character development to a Sorkin piece. And I love my Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> so uh, I was very happy to get that email and thank you so much. And then we also had an email from Cherry as well. And she emailed in and you know what? We missed something. Uh, we missed a couple of things in the episode, Jeremy. <laughs> we miss a lot talk, of things, let's be that. honest. I mean, we're, uh, yeah, we're not totally. perfect here. But uh, we did miss that Dr. Sharon did quote back uh, some goodwill hunting in the last episode, Very and true. we totally missed that. Also, she said that uh, Cherry believes that Higgins is more of an Obi-Wan Kenobi guiding us through Ted Lasso, potentially, and not so much that he is the one that's bought into Lassoism, but that uh, his characteristics, his good characteristics have started to come out so more in the second so season. So it's that Lasso was in him the whole time. It just it's, needed to be unlocked. It's the nature versus nurture debate, really. <laughs> Where do you stand on Leslie Higgins, Courtney? I am devoutly pro-Higgins, but when mm. it comes to the Sorkinism of it all, I actually think that Danny Rojas showed us what would happen if the Sorkin walk happened in real life yeah. in the last episode. <laughs> like we would all need the Rebecca slippers mm, yeah. because that's just, we would all have just bloody toes. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then we did get a couple of reviews on Apple Podcasts as well. Thank you so much for that. Uh, we had one that said awesome sauce, that they love the in-depth analysis and talks over the themes and plots. So that's what we do. We appreciate that. <laughs> um, we also had one that said uh, 
it says best Ted Lasso podcast. I will say I listen to a lot of the other Ted Lasso podcasts and I'd say we are in really good company uh, is what I would say, because there are some really great shows out there. Been talking a lot with the folks from Lasso cast, love them. Uh, Richmond till you die. There's a lot of really cool shows out there. Yeah. So we're just glad to be part of that, but thank you so much for the review. And then uh, we also have one that says straight barbecue sauce is the <laughs> uh, title of the review. And they said that uh, they love the Tedisms and the analysis that goes back and forth. Uh, and then finally, there's one that just says team lassoism. They love our lassoisms at the end of the show. So, uh, and the positivity that we bring to Ted Lasso, because how can Aww. you not be positive talking about Ted Lasso? As we say, well, it's I'm, the lucky, best. I'm lucky to know you both IRL and you both have Ted Lasso energy, but also beard energy. And I respect the combination of the coach beard the coach's beard and lasso together in one podcast. I literally that's can't. Right. We should shut this down. It's not getting better than that. that that's the perfect <laughs> comment. This I, right now, uh, it's 8.49 p.m. This is beard after dark right now. Yes, <laughs> that's right. I, I can't grow a mustache to save my life, but I can't say, hey, baby, right? There you go. Guess what? So, Here's the thing. I can. So it is beard after dark. Boom. <laughs> we just need the pants and we are set, guys. <laughs> Oh, this is so perfect. But Jeremy, you got anything before we dive right into this finale episode, the season two finale? I don't think so, because we're, we're about to get we're going to have some lasso therapy here, friends. So Holy get, moly. gather close and let's get through this together, folks. I will say that I think leading up to this and being able to watch the finale, um, it is kind of like we've we've really built this up and the fan community has as well and talking a lot about this show. And so you don't know what direction they're going to take with some of these things. You don't know if you're going to be satisfied in the end. I will say that uh, right up the front, I was extremely satisfied with most of the story beats of this finale, and I can't wait for the season three finale to come up. Uh, but I guess let's just do that because this is the end of season two. What was kind of your first First impression getting to view this uh, episode, Courtney, any thoughts just overall on the episode? Well, I think that to get into this episode, we need to start with the end of the last episode. Mm. I think that it is so important to like include the fact that Nate was Trent Krim's um, source and how that really clouded the entire episode and just the Nate of it all. Mm for this entire episode. And I think we've been really waiting for Nate's story to have a weight to it because we've just been getting bits and pieces mm -hmm. of his issues with his father, of his rage, of his anger, of his cruelty. And it really came to a head in this episode. And I think that was the real importance and it could have gone one of several ways he could have embraced the kindness of ted or he could have taken the heel turn and we saw which way it went we sure did we sure did and we're gonna see the uh, some of the repercussions of that a little bit but i think that they're leading us into a very major storyline of season three as well but jeremy what about your overall impressions of the episode did you what, what did you find about this episode was it satisfying to you it is it is a very satisfying end to this season um look sadekis and and hunt they told us early on that this was the empire strikes back and 
the parallels are, are plentiful here, especially that final shot of this season um, with uh, with Nate taking his his Vader position in this uh, cabal of soccer evil here. Um, but there is, um, I, I think that what I told you when I first saw it is like, I think the community is going to be a little split on the confrontation between Ted and Nate, because I'm sure everybody wanted, everybody is beard in this moment, watching this episode saying, I'll gladly headbutt you, Nate. So like, but like it never really happens. We never, he never really gets that big tell off. Um, mostly because that's just not who Ted is, but you know, like I, I'm very curious as to what they're going to think of that scene, because I think it's the meatiest scene in the episode. Definitely. We're going to dive into, it but I'm also very interested to hear what people think Nate is thinking when they win this matchup at the end because that is some grade A acting from Nick Muhammad there because I think I have an idea but I really don't have a clue at all I the literal murder that occurred <laughs> yes of the beliefs oh my god I I have never been <laughs> as affected by the death of a character <laughs> I'm not, no, Courtney, you are right. Like when I saw that, I was not ready for that. I was not, I did not think even after the confrontation that that level of vitriol was there inside of Nate. And I was like, that just went to another level. Because I, I have been a Nate apologist, Mm. honestly. And it comes from a place of, um, Preeti Chibber is one of my very good friends. She's a writer. And if you don't follow her on Twitter, please do read her books. She's absolutely incredible. But she has been writing about the fact that um, they have really not delved into the fact that they have not explored Nate as a a brown person in sports Mm. and how that impacts why he is the way he is. And I hope they do bring that to his character next season. I hope that is really part of this role. Um, both for Nick Muhammad as an actor and for the character. Mm. But um, <laughs> I've been such an <laughs> apologist for this character because I really do think, like with Rebecca, there was some systemic uh, you know, misogyny written into her character and why she was the way she was that has not been in place mm. for Nate yeah. necessarily. But that belief sign being ripped in half, <laughs> just like Nate. I have been pulling for you this whole time. <laughs> God damn it. You're like, you are dead to me, character Nate. that died off screen, right? Yes. Uh, off screen death. Yeah. Um, we walk in on the murder. This isn't cool, man. Well, clearly we are going to talk about that scene when we get there, but let's dive right into uh, starting at the front of the episode. We start off with soccer special talking about the panic attack and mentioning that there's rumors. They, they kind of throw this in at the end rumors of a purchase of West Ham United, which mm. obviously is some foreshadowing that will come back later. Um, the commenters are going back or commentators are going back and saying that uh, Lasso either should or shouldn't be gone. Um, and then we actually pull out, it's actually Ted watching soccer, watching soccer special. And uh, he's getting some text messages and voicemails from Rebecca. And then also from Dr. Sharon. I love that they play Sarah Niles is uh, truth <laughs> will set you three, free, but first it'll piss you off uh, again. And then also he has a text here from Michelle, his ex-wife. Mm. Um, and that is kind of an interesting dynamic because we really haven't heard or uh, really had any reference really to her much, except for in the Christmas episode, when she was kind of taking Henry away uh, to go play with his drone. So thoughts on this opening up, 
up and where Ted's at as far as this is concerned. And I'll go to Jeremy first. Yeah, so the, the soccer special, especially, I mean, like, look, it's not a surprise to hear the uh, former Richmond coach uh, do the – do the take that I think most of uh, the, the alpha male masculine people would take, you know, like, oh, this is sports as a battlefield and you need a, a captain who's there and just straight up screw off, dude. Um, and I, I just love that the other hosts, though, are very uncomfortable with that. That kind of gives me some hope for this, and especially, of course, with Ted's uh, comments at the press conference at the end of the episode, you know, but for most part, they don't really deal with that aspect of, you know, it's it's not that they don't deal with it, but it's not front and center in this episode. You know, it's really just kind of there. And I think that's because we trust that they'll deal with it well. Um, but the yeah, the Michelle text exchange got me because that was like he's getting all these great messages of support. I love that they go call back to Rebecca's comment uh, when they're burning when she's burning the newspaper in season one in the two aces episode where she says, you know, fuck the haters. And so she, he says she texts that to, to Ted there. That's great. And of course you talked about Dr. Sharon, but yeah, Michelle um, and the fact that, you know, like when he's trying to ask her if it was a late night or an early morning, you see the dreaded dot dots that Sam always uh, loved this season. And then, Nothing. And then the fact that she hearts that uh, blow off line so quickly. I mean, again, you can just tell that even though Ted is getting all these messages as a support, the key the key thing that is drawing up this anxiety is still there. The fact that he feels like he quit on his family and he's abandoned his son. Again, that father son dynamic this whole season. So really, really good opening here to, to kind of give us where Ted is. And that came off so well, like uh, never before has a heart reaction and a text been so emotional. It was to like me. And again, maybe I came into yeah. this like so hyped up and, um, but you can tell there's so much feeling behind him being able to text that uh, to her and trying to keep that distance. And certainly that story beat of Henry and him being away from his family came up more in this finale than really it has almost in any other episode of this series. Mm. Courtney, your thoughts on how we open up the show. I'm both a person who suffers from panic attacks and a divorced person. And this very quick succession of moments hit me hard. It was so realistic. Mm. And I I do wonder how much of that does stem from uh, Jason Sudeikis's year. Um, You know, he had he's he's had a, a rough year personally. And I, he's talked about how the character that was already in place, um, that that certainly has expanded as the season has gone on. Um, But yeah, that was incredibly realistic. This idea that having panic attacks makes you somehow weaker. Mm. And then having to operate within this relationship that you've existed in for so long and then having to establish boundaries that's so real Mm. and that was incredibly just well done and just it was palpable Mm -hmm. is the best way i can say it it was very realistic and i loved the way this whole scene was done Mm. 
Yeah, I, I loved that you also got the support angle as well from kind of his closest confidants here. You know, even his ex-wife is reaching out, his therapist, his boss. Um, and then because you do see him walk out onto the street in the next episode, uh, the next scene, he's going to go meet up with Beard. And um, there is the gentleman that walks up to him. And, and it's almost like I, I copied down this quote because I can't tell how to read it one way or another. But he says, if my grandpa had a panic attack in Normandy, we'd all be German. And then he turns back around, though, and he says, just do the work, pal. You'll be all right. Yeah. How do you read that? Like, no, how, I, how are we supposed to interpret all of that? Doesn't it feel like it has that twinge of just like, you know, everybody calling him a wanker and stuff when he first got over there? It's like yeah. they, it they, mean, they mean it, but it doesn't feel mean spirited at all. It's just it, it seems kind of more like just ribbing an old friend to me. Yeah, it's it's that was just an extended version of wanker. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, you're OK, though. Yeah. Yeah. That's the second part. The just do the work, pal. You'll be OK. That was that was very heartfelt. And I was like, you know, yeah. so it's like even though because you remember Ted had to win all these people over just like by his perseverance and stuff. Yeah. And I think that he has now. I think the community knows who he is and they feel for him. So I think that that's, you know, that's a genuine thing that's happening here. But I yeah. think there's something about TV divorces, movie divorces, where it is either the whole story or it's just over mm -hmm. and bill lawrence does that very well yeah. um but also he has you know with like you know dr cox and jordan their mm. relationship continued and it, it i i love scrubs like scrubs is my favorite like i am such like a bill lawrence stan that's <laughs> like what got me into ted lasso uh but I love the way they've done this particular relationship because Ted Lasso and Michelle, like it was a very natural, realistic divorce that actually reminded me of my own divorce where it was just a natural progression to being over and they're still in each other's lives. They are still co-parents. She still checks in on him, but they're trying to have boundaries. And I really, really appreciated that because you don't really see that because it's hard to do, I think, in yeah. narrative television because yeah. it doesn't make for a good story. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah no. it just doesn't. No. Well, and that's always the great thing about this show. It subverts all those things. Like it, exactly. it, de it deals with things smartly and really. And I also do love, though, at the end of this that like. Beard is just the best friend you could ever have till the end because you know I, I'm I'm guessing you know what that was about and he's just like nope <laughs> all the time with that newspaper in his back pocket it's like it's not even a thing for him he knows what his friend needs right there and he needs some normalcy and that's what he's gonna give him. I love and Beard. I want to carry Beard in my pocket. There you oh, no. go. <laughs> in my back pocket, like the newspaper in Beard's pocket. There you go. <laughs> we then go to the uh, office and Edwin Akufu, who, by the way, uh, first of all, played by Sam Richardson. So uh, my buddy Sean messages me and says, uh, you know, your co-host, he said that the, he just kept saying the guy who's playing Edwin Akufu, and he didn't rec uh, mention that it was Sam Richardson oh, man. and I'm how sorry, great Sam. Sam Richardson is. So you got called out. <laughs> I, did. I did. Um, I did. I said his name wrong the first time, too. It's so funny. 
because in listening, like in, in, in kind of reading like fan messages and listening to like other shows, uh, listening to our show, we were talking about this compassionate billionaire. Yeah. And now that didn't turn out we're right. Getting, like, <laughs> we're getting the fact that like, this guy is actually about like kind of subversion. A, right, no kidding. Right. So that, that sends, took a turn. <laughs> he sends Rebecca flowers for her loss, not for her father, but because she's going to lose Sam to him. What like, an asshole. So great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And that's the nicest thing that he does in this episode. Yes. <laughs> oh God, we'll get into him later. But um, but uh, Rebecca Higgins and Keely are talking to Sam, uh, and then also are talking about Sam. And then Ted tells them that he's going to be okay. Uh, but he did switch the salt and sugar in the biscuits, uh, which I don't know if this is going to be any of your Tedisms. Did any of you are you going to take uh, Rebecca's line here because it's I, real good? There's a lot of Tedisms in this episode. I just I think okay. that this whole Okay, so here's the thing, right? I never watched Melrose Place. I've never seen an episode of it. And I'm pretty sure, like, when I was younger, I thought it was just about a guy named Melrose who had a place. So I'm just going to, like, leave this to you guys who have seen it. But, I mean, like, you know, that's exactly how you'd describe her. I just, I think that's just Heather Locklear uh, anyway, you know, in real life. I I don't know. It's it's the way that Hannah delivers that line. Oh, yeah. Like, just, like, like devours every word of that line she's a sneaky salty bitch like it's just so perfect (laughs) it's very it's very like yeah almost carnivorous the way she says aspirational i wish i wish i could be a sneaky salty bitch (laughs) you just wish that hannah waddington was saying that about you yeah yeah i don't have that range either (laughs) oh my goodness um Uh, but then we go into the locker room. Beard asks Nate uh, if he's seen the story. And of course, Beard is very much on to Nate at this point. Roy and Jamie talk. Uh, and Jamie tells him <laughs> at that point that he had told Keely that he loved her. And then they basically make up right there, which is maybe yeah. something that might be a little bit unexpected uh, when you come into it. But if you think about the arc that Roy Kent has gone through this entire season, I think it does make sense. And even his reaction at the photo shoot when she tells him, about Nate uh, and then of course the react the interaction that he's going to have with Nate later on in this uh, episode I think that we have a, a fully reformed Roy <laughs> Kent here and so I, I do think that his uh, respect for Jamie uh, does come through and then at the end of that scene you also have poor Colin who's just been hiding in the corner <laughs> because he froze because he couldn't get out of there but Courtney what about this scene and that interaction between Jamie and Roy I do want to go back to Beard. <laughs> and is Beard an omnipotent figure? Of course he is. <laughs> he knows everything while also knowing nothing about himself. He is the least <laughs> self-aware person while also being entirely aware of everything around him. Whoa. It's a beautiful thing. Fantastic. Isn't that the idea of the whole, like the perks of being a wallflower kind of like it's... you are the observer, you are the watcher yes. <laughs> for all of us MCU fans. We, we do know he listens more than he talks uh, by his yes. own admission. No, but I agree with he you there. Sees. He sees, but he does not. Yes, he observes and he 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 mm-hmm. intakes here because you're right. Like, I love Beard in this moment um, because it literally is like a hey, dude. <laughs> like, I'm on to you here. Got something you want to say? And just the way he looks at him and says, like, yes, it was horrible. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. that was Brendan Hunt. Perfect delivery. Perfect delivery of that just line. So very good. Yes. <laughs> um, but. <sighs> 
we'll I will get to my thoughts on the uh, the Roy and Nate of it all later mm. because I think that my thoughts on this will come with Nate's reaction mm-hmm. because yeah. I think that is where my bigger thoughts come. Yeah, I think I'm on the same but plane think, there. Yeah, but I think that like Roy has evolved so much as a character. And he's just, he's come so far, and I'm so proud of him. Mm. And will he take a few steps back? He absolutely will. But I'm very proud of him. Mm. He's a very good eyebrow boy. (laughs) Psychotic eyebrows. Psychotic Psychotic eyebrow boy. (laughs) What about you? Uh, Are you, did you want to see him kind of have it out here with Jamie, uh, here, Jeremy? Or are you happy with the resolution of what we get in the the locker room? Look, man, you know, I'm always going to stand for my boy, Phil Dunster, um, to the end of time. Um, but I did like, again, this is a healthy thing, um, that they're doing here. And like Jamie, cause we were worried at that funeral episode, like, oh my God, is Jamie really going to do this? Or is this like kind of just another sitcom or a rom-com trope that they're, they're doing here a la four weddings and a funeral. It feels more like the latter now, um, because Jamie even explains, you know, like I'm not used to being around dead bodies. It does something to me emotionally. Again, we are seeing the, the redemption and the maturation of Jamie Tart in a way that is there. He immediately recognizes that what he did was not only wrong, but that it might have shaken Roy a bit. So he goes out of his way to make sure he knows not only that it was wrong, but that he's never going to do it again. And there was a reason it happened in the first place. That is not an everyday reason. So, you know, and then of course they have that great moment at the end of the match where it's very, if you've ever seen the movie, uh, major league, it's very major league. The end of that movie <laughs> where uh, Corbin uh, Burnson like punches Charlie Sheen out and then they just start celebrating together. So um, it, it's kind of the same way, but yeah, I just love the way that these two have grown together in this season that they understand each other to his own admission later in the episode. You know, in an alternate timeline, if we weren't uh, someone that uh, started a podcast in season two, I do wonder <laughs> if the conversations we're having around Nate and Nick Muhammad, if we're having some of those, obviously not the same issues, but if we're having some of the same villain speak about Jamie Tart mm. and Phil Dunster, especially when he's the reason why they get relegated in the first place, which is the major story beat. Now, we're going to go back and talk season one, but I think we're going to be um, you know, we're, our review of that is going to be colored by what we know later on that happens in his redemption in here. So I, I, I could see it both ways. I could see where fans would want Roy to be a little bit more aggressive towards that. I do think it's a story beat we're going to continue to get. I think it's going to be a long burn story beat that um, this relationship between Roy and Keeley, and I'm going to have a lot of thoughts on that later, but it was nice to see again. I, I, I mentioned it during the Man City episode that I see Roy as a a father to Jamie at this point. And so I think that he reacted in a way that would be very appropriate for the kind of relationship that I think that they have at this moment. Am I wrong, Courtney? No, absolutely not. And I think that's what's so interesting. And this is kind of foreshadowing the ending. But I think Roy as a father figure to Jamie in the way that Ted is a father figure to Nate. Mm. This show is really about fathers and sons in a Mm. lot of ways. And I think that they haven't, they've made that very clear, but also they've done it in a subtle way Mm -hmm. to where it's been very universal. And it's really been 
hit hard in this episode. Yeah. And it's it's just really it's hit. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it really comes full circle. And even uh, talking again more about Henry and the relationship between Ted and his own son that comes up in this uh, in very dramatic ways as well. Yeah, but But we do get now. One one last thing on Roy and Jamie's uh, father relationship. I mean, you remember that episode four season one is where Roy uh, tells Jamie is like, I I hate you because I see so much of myself in you. And I mean, what's more father son than that, than that very dynamic, that very thought. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, now you've got... um, um, but there is also this romantic rival thing that was there. So, I mean, it's very weird. But I think what happened when Jamie's dad came to the locker room and Roy finally saw, man, if my support system when I was his age was that crappy, maybe I would be the same thing. And so I think, yeah, Roy now is very much in the camp of like, I need to help this kid, um, you know, try and get to get to a better place because I might be the last chance he has. Well, and golly gee, will I come back and talk about Rebecca and Keely and how they are everyone's mothers. Yes. Uh, This is a, (laughs) this is, oh man, just. It's a a very parental season, isn't it? Uh, It's a parental series, (laughs) to say the least. Um, and, uh, not explicit. Well, no, it is actually really explicit. Tipper Gore would have a fit about this show for sure, especially (laughs) if she knew that so many people were showing this to their kids. Um, but no, so we move on to where Ted's going to talk to the team about the article. And this is one of those classic Ted Lasso speeches. I'm sure we have a billion Tedisms to come out of this speech, so we don't have to talk about that. But the team basically says that they are totally behind him. They are going to find this leaker. And then, you know, there's some awkward moments like Nick Muhammad plays this brilliantly on the pitch, the, the facial reactions that he's giving. Uh, Beard also has some facial reactions and some looks over at Nate and, and, and all of that during this time. And then that's when uh, Ted says, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to uh, worry about the leaker. All we're going to worry about is our match coming up. He, just like any good coach would do, we're going to focus on the game plan. We're going to implement this false nine that Nate has been talking about in the previous episode, and that's going to be the plan moving forward. So um, again, not to like actually throw out the speech there, but this is a pretty critical moment of the episode. Courtney, your thoughts on the, um, the speech that Ted gives and then also the reaction from the team. I think that there is a, a strong push from Ted in the early part of the episode where he is trying to give Nate a save. Mm -hmm. He's trying to make sure Nate knows that like he's still appreciated, still loved, but it's forced. Mm. It's so forced. And I think Nate knows. And it's, it's just, it's, it's, after watching it, it's just so ugly and (laughs) it's so hard, but it just, it feels brutal to watch how hard Ted is trying to say, like, we're going to do Nate, the greats false nine, and we're going to do this. And then watching Nate's face every time and knowing what we know, Oh, it's just brutal all the way around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, Jeremy, your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'll save most of these for the the confrontation between Nate and Ted because, Courtney, you are so right about 
Nate's state of mind here because I was noticing too, he continually kept saying Nate's false nine, Nate's false nine, um, even though he knows. And I mean, Nate at this point He's trying has to too know. hard. Yeah, Ted. Ted, you're trying too hard. Well, and I mean, he's just just overcompensating, right? Yeah. And I mean, I'm wondering here if Nate does like have that figured out that Ted knows that it was him, because of course he would have no way of knowing that at this point. Um, Obviously, Beard's interaction maybe tips him a little to it, but that's probably, but I don't know if you would automatically put that on Ted. So, um, you know, like, but you're right. Like it does feel a little forced there. And when we get to the end of the episode in the locker room and he's still calling it Nate's false nine, all of a sudden this, that takes on a whole new meaning again again um because you're right his intentions are pure here he's trying to say you know like because i think in his internal battle remember what he says to nay what what do i what do i need to learn here and so you're right i think right. ted when he reads this comment from trent groom i think he's thinking like what did i do like you know not like how could this happen what did i do i think is what he's going for yeah totally and and you know i think that um the, what what i love about this is that you do get the team coming together behind Ted. Uh, and I don't think that, you know, to go off of what you're saying, Jeremy, I think that Nate really um, probably thinks that he's being a mastermind and being sneaky. He doesn't, he has too much of an ego at this point uh, to think that Ted would know mm. as well. So I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to get in his mindset and see, especially with what we have coming up. And I know we keep hinting at that. We're going to get to that scene, I promise. But uh, two quick scenes that happen in succession here. I want to talk about both of them, uh, whatever you'd like to talk about you two. So we do get a fun scene with Higgins and Keeley where basically Higgins is like, thanks for coming and talking to me about this job opportunity that uh, Keeley learned about earlier in the episode. They do want her to start her own PR firm. It's the money people from banter have decided that she could go and open her own firm. Uh, and she's going to go talk to Higgins about it. And he's like, Oh, thank you so much. This is great. And then she's like, well, basically everybody else was busy and he's just Higgins is just happy to be on the list of people that you could go and confide in at this point. So that was a a really fun scene between the two of them. The breeder was hilarious in that scene and uh, kissing Keely's hand, just like great comedic relief from heavier moments coming out of the pitch scene. Um, And then we get a really critical in my mind scene with Sam and his dad talking and his dad basically says, Sam, the universe will show you a sign. And I, I got so like emotional, like I got like very George Bailey emotional over Sam looking over and seeing the kids playing in his Jersey and knowing that the decision is right there in front of him. And we're going to get to the decision later, but you've all seen the finale. You know what happens. <laughs> hopefully, my goodness, hopefully you've seen the finale. Yeah. <laughs> don't listen, don't this listen to this guys. Come um, on. <laughs> what are but, you doing? But my goodness. I, I, Right. And again, uh, I love that Sam's dad was like, the university will will show you a sign. Sam says, no, it won't. And he's like, the universe told me to buy Bitcoin in 2009. So, which I have my own Bitcoin story in 2010, but maybe someday I will share that story. But out of these two scenes, um, they are brief, but I think that they are both impactful in that you start to see what Keeley's mindset is with leaving the team. And then you also see Sam's mindset of what will ultimately lead to him staying on the team. So any thoughts that you have, Jer? Yeah, I mean, I, I really like the uh, the scene with Keeley and Higgins, just obviously for the mentor quote, which we'll get to. But um, 
you know, it's also just a sense of, yeah, you don't have to be afraid of this stuff. Like, and I love that Roy gives her that affirmation later in the episode too. It's just like, you know, um, but also like Keely isn't really worried about, I love that she has the confidence of like, no, I'm going to be great at this. I'm just don't want to let my friends down. And that is so real as somebody who just um, left a, a job, uh, you know, almost a year ago now um, that I really loved that I really love the people at that is a very palpable real thing when you're close to the people you work with um when you you know feel like you have to take another opportunity it it is like you can my my wife could tell you like the most anxious thing I had wasn't like background checks or anything it was telling my boss that you know I had to put two weeks in and that's just tough so I mean I like that they they were playing with that real life emotion there and of course you know Sam uh, I'll save my thoughts for the uh Kufo seat later because that that was just so much fun (laughs) Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Courtney, any thoughts on either of these scenes? I, I, the thing that I love so much about this show and really all of the characters, but particularly Higgins, is that they could very easily make so many of the characters just fools with minor bits of, you know, wisdom when necessary, which is a thing Scrubs did. <laughs> And I loved, I love Scrubs, um, but Higgins, he had his moment of not get it, not get it, get it completely. And that was like, it was a perfect conversation and it was just so good and so enjoyable to watch. And you like every episode where you're having a conversation with Higgins. Like you really see why these characters appreciate him, love him, work with him, why he's successful. And I just, I appreciate that. (laughs) I just really, I love Higgins. Yes. Also, he's also, he's a bassist and my boyfriend's a bassist. (laughs) I love what just a, a silly, a silly bass player boy he is. Yeah, you know, it like I, I think I like these two scenes in succession with one another because it's two of my favorite characters. Mm. Uh, you know, how do you not love Higgins and Sam? Like they're just both of them have brought so much to those characters and so much growth to what could be like tertiary characters in any other show. And of course, obviously they've brought Sam's, they've elevated his character yeah. in the second season, but I think that they did that because of the, the work that Tahib Jamo was putting into that part in the first season and what we really uh, came to love out of that character, because he's, he's just, I don't know, like he's got this, like, um, we talk about his philosophy and like how philosophical he is, but he has this naive optimism that is just like the driving force of this show. And I absolutely love him and I love Higgins. So I think that that's why these two scenes and, and, and like the, the conversation that he had with his dad, it makes me feel so much better about Sam's dad. <laughs> because, right. You know, like, so I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent. Totally fine. 100% so, fine. <laughs> my favorite movie is say anything. Mm. And Cameron Crowe, when he talks about Lloyd Dobler, the main character of Say Anything, he talks about optimism as a revolutionary act. And I feel like that describes Ted Lasso, but I also feel like that describes Higgins, that describes Keeley, that describes Sam. Like, I feel like that describes so many of these characters. And that is what is so endearing and lovable about these characters is that they are all 
just utterly joyful in the face of so much strife and negativity and oppression and all the things in the world that could make things harder for them. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes this show such a joy. And I think that's why so many people have come to it. And it's why New Yorker articles about how uh, Ted Lasso can't save us as a society just get laughed at. I mean, honestly, yeah. like, you know, like it's like that we want, we want to feel that hope, like th this show um, and, you know, me, my tangent, uh, I have been focusing a lot more on aspects of mental health and things. And um, I, have been listening to a lot of uh, the 10% happier like app and podcasts. And uh, one of the coaches that are on there, his name is George Mumford. And he has this brilliant lesson about how hope is a skill. And Ted gets that hope is a skill. Like it is something that you can be just completely naively, uh, hopefully optimistic and that's going to get you places and it will work in certain situations, but you also have to understand that you have to have hope in dire situations. You have to have, bring that so that way you can have that moment in the locker room that we have later with the team at halftime and, and all that. But but yeah, I mean, we have an awful lot of the episode to still get through, oh, so gosh. I'll make sure we uh, continue on here. But we now check in with Keely and Roy, and basically Keely's telling Roy about the job opportunity. And this is where you start to see a little bit of something going on. I don't want to say that it's a rift or a split in their characters because I think it's all based on perceptions. I think Roy would tell you that it is a little bit of a, a splitting away because he says things like, uh, well, now you won't have any time for me. And then they see the Vanity Fair article and uh, they have not used any of the photos that include Roy. It's all photos of Keeley. And she asks them, she's like, oh, I, I could definitely add them, ask them to add one in. And I love that he says, don't you dare do that. You look powerful. Uh, and it's just like Roy is so supportive of her. But I think also he is a little bit concerned in the scene of losing her. And then we do cut over. We have to get checked in with Ted and with Beard prior to the match as well. And our check in with them happens at the Crown and Anchor. And Ted says that uh, or Beard says that he knows that it's Nate. When's Ted going to confront him with that? And um, Ted says that he's not going to push him to come forward and, and tell anything to him uh, that, you know, he's going to allow Nate to come to him. And we'll see if that strategy works. Uh, we know the answer to that. But what do you think about any of these, either of these last couple check-ins before we start to really get into that pre-match? Jeremy, your thoughts? Yeah, so I think that um, most uh, I, I'm most connected with the Beard and Ted scene because understand this as well about Beard. He knows things about Nate that Ted doesn't know. He, you know, Beard knows about how uh, Nate berated uh, Colin and how he berated Will and all of these things. And he's been on to Nate quite a bit here for, for a long part of the season. And so when he says, you know, some people need a push, he's telling him, he's just like, look, you don't know some stuff that I know. And this is Nate's not going to come to you at this point. He's not going to do it. And so if you want a confrontation, you have to, you know, if you want an apology or whatever you want from this, you're going to be have to be the one that does it. And he does. But part of me thinks maybe he does it too late as to what you're speaking with there, Courtney. 
like, you know, now Nate is fully embracing this um, pompous version of himself. You'd be fools not to run the false nine. You know, like it's it's one of those things that maybe Ted should have heeded Beard's advice here a little bit more. And maybe we get a slightly different confrontation. But as it stands, it looks like they've just let this fester too long. And you're right, I, Courtney, I think maybe Nate does think he's being some kind of big mastermind at this point. Yeah, for sure. Courtney? Yeah, I think... I think Beard tried in his very Beard way. Beard is a man of few words. He's never just going to come out and say what, what he really believes. But... You know that thing where you wish on TV shows people would just say <laughs> what they need to say? <laughs> right. Two episode arcs can be solved by one conversation. Yes. Yes, I know that feeling. Like, can someone just say Nate's being mean? Can someone yeah. just say Nate's being mean to Colin? Can someone, like, say poor Colin? Poor Colin. Hashtag poor Colin. Poor uh, baby. I forgot but that we did poor get... Nate before. Like, I mean, maybe oh, yeah. Colin's going to be the next evil mastermind. <laughs> That's right. That's right. He's going to be uh, promoted to assistant coach. And then we don't know where Colin's going to go from there. Um, but uh, I forgot that we did get a really great scene before the match with uh, Keely and Rebecca. This is where Rebecca's being told that Keely is going to be leaving. And it's interesting because she does also reveal that Rupert has bought West Ham United, a callback to the very beginning of the episode. Um, and then Rebecca says this line, and maybe I'm reading way too much into it, but Rebecca says this line that's like, don't you dare go work for him. And I wonder if that's a little bit of foreshadowing to season three, but again, I might be uh, reading into that a little bit. And I don't know if either of you have this as your Tedism, but I did want to make sure that this was brought up. Uh, Tom, our listener, had mentioned some Sorkinism, and I'll tell you what, this next line was pulled directly from Sorkin, yeah. and that is that uh, Rebecca looks at Keely and says, a bit of advice for being the boss, hire your best friend. It's the designated survivor exactly. episode, man. Well, no, it's uh, it's a West Wing. Quote. No, no, it's, oh, I, it's the episode of the West Wing where they have to choose the designated survivor oh, sure. for the state of the union. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely right. I was like, oh my goodness, this is no key for Sutherland. Get out of here. <laughs> but uh, but no, uh, it, it is where uh, Bartlett uh, says, do you have a best friend? That's, that's your chief, chief of staff. Of staff. Yep. And you know, like that is the exact same. And I'm just like, oh my God, that's the West Wing. <laughs> my heart is exploding. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, it was a great scene between the two of them. Uh, any comments on that, Courtney, before we move on to the match? Uh, I will say that I think that the comment don't go work for him was a foreshadow. I don't think it was a foreshadow next season. Okay. We'll get to what it's a foreshadow too. Okay. Um, Keely would never. Keely not would our, never. Not our Keely. Yeah. Um, but I, on a show that is both, yes, there, there's essentially two to three females on this show but they're like i would never suggest the show is is light in terms of you know powerful women like this is a, just i love this show and the women on this show are just absolutely incredible this is one of the strongest female friendships 
on television and I'm so happy that it exists and I'm so happy to see that it will continue outside of the workplace because mm -hmm. I think that's really important that a female friendship continues not in a forced setting and I'm excited to see where that goes yeah so I yay I'm also excited that there is a PR opening and that there is a former journalist hanging around at the end of this episode, but <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe we could talk about that a little bit later. So going, setting, up, <laughs> setting up the match, uh, Nate is uh, staring at the pyramid and Beard kind of gives him this look like he's being so weird. Roy is also looking at Beard like what, what's going on with Nate here? Um, Nate says things like they would be fools if they didn't do his false nine. Um, Higgins is back out of his office. Oh, poor Higgins. Uh, but the diamond dogs are having a meeting, a one-time meeting for Roy Kent. Although we all know that in his heart, Roy is 100% a diamond dog all the time. Uh, but I love Roy's line. Roy Kent canonical diamond dog. That's right. That's right. <laughs> what I love, uh, what I love about his line is that he goes, it hurt my feeling he didn't say feelings his, feelings. his singular his feeling. singular feeling yeah. is what yes. it hurt um but he talks about being left out of the vanity fair article um he also tells them about jamie and he says that instead of wanting to beat him up he forgave him and that he's furious about that uh and then so then nate is saying oh i want to confess something too i kissed keely at this uh putting on the suit and roy is like ah, i'm fine with that like no big deal. And then Nate is upset at the fact that Roy is fine with basically him kissing his girlfriend. But when it came to Jamie saying that he loved her, then he's like, Oh, you were furious about that. You wanted to deck him. So why aren't you mad at me? Like, he's like, why I want the attention as well, you know? Uh, and so that is, um, the meeting of the diamond dogs then uh, concluded and we are going to go into our match, but Jeremy, any thoughts? Uh, we definitely have evil Nate here. We have him. I mentioned that, you know, I thought I texted you and I was like, I thought the black suit was a little over the top for the game, but you of course mentioned that that is the suit that he purchased in the last episode. I still think it was kind of weird to see him in this like black suit in that. Uh, I don't know. Well, he I mean, he's dressing like Roy. Yeah. <laughs> that was Roy uh, when he first uh, came onto the pitch as a coach. That's true. He was wearing that black suit. Um, but, you you know, this is where the psychology of the episode gets in here, obviously, because Nate, um, as he tells Ted, feels invisible. He still feels invisible. And really, this whole season has been him dealing with that, um, but dealing with it in very unhealthy ways. You remember when Keeley... Um, when he asked Keeley to help him become famous and she said, you know, like you don't want to go messing around with fame. And I think it's because she knew instinctively that like Nate would not handle uh, fame well. And this is really like the full part of that. Like, he continues to try to be seen in every way. Part of me thinks, yes, he wanted to be angered with Roy, like Roy to be angry with him. He wanted him there because then it means like he's, you know, seen as a rival of Roy Kent. You know, like I think that now it's all ego. Like Nate is literally transformed into an all ego self. And, you know, like it, it doesn't compute to him why he wouldn't be on the same level as Jamie when he did something worse than Jamie in, in most people's eyes. And so I think this is what perfectly sets up the confrontation with Ted, which is that, you know, like no matter what I do around here, everybody just sees me as little Nate, 
you know, yeah. just like like little brother Nate. And like, that's not what he's wanting. In fact, it's a feeling he's probably been fighting against with his father his entire life. So it's, you know, it, it, it is a, a stark moment there. But again, also in the scene, Brett Goldstein's just perfect. Always perfect. He's, he's, always no perfect. Notes. You know, you... No um, notes. <laughs> I think we're going to have a lot to talk about in the, the halftime scene with Ted and Nate, and you set that up perfectly. Um, in the in what is Ted Lasso and what has become kind of a running joke about Ted Lasso, we do get a couple of soccer scenes, but it is 2-0 uh, going into halftime. Oof. We get them just like that, and then we're done with them. Um, and so we do get to uh, halftime. And uh, what I love about the the halftime is the team coming together uh, and knowing that they can still believe and it, like they, they go to the believe sign. And I'll tell you what, I, I don't know about you guys, but it kind of upset me that we had already seen the image of the team putting mm-hmm. their hands on the believe sign prior to the, um, the episode airing. Usually Apple TV or Apple in general, real good with marketing and really nails their marketing. This was a misstep to me because I feel like I would have had a lot more emotion in it had I not seen the picture of that already. And especially like the weight of like Isaac going Mm -hmm. and and, uh, stepping up to that as well. But then we get this great scene with Ted and Nate. So I know I'm giving you a lot, but you can comment on any of it. Uh, But Nate is uh, clearly upset and Ted is asking him, like, what, what did he do? Why is he so mad at him? And Nate said that he built him up and then just abandoned him. And this, of course, parallels all of Ted's abandonment issues that he has had. Uh, he says that he will blame the loss. This is Nate saying that he will blame the loss on uh, him uh, if, if they lose because, oh, they were doing Nate's false nine. So it obviously it was Nate's fault. Um, and then he just has some really... Uh, damning lines in this and i will tell you if uh if there are emmy nominations to go around next year this is a hell of a scene to put Mm -hmm. in for nick muhammad uh he says everyone loves you the great ted lasso i think you're a fucking joke without me you wouldn't win a fucking match and they ship your ass back to kansas with your son holy moly nate nate the not so great at this point um nate says that he's uh earned what he had which is interesting we can discuss that potentially who, who, uh, who, and then who, it who recognized that his merit lap. there nate who recognized all yeah, that merit right i wonder I, I do understand that he knew a lot about the game and he was you know but the second we meet nate he's like ah oh, you got to get off the field you got to get off the field what are you doing on the field you know like that's the guy that we all came to love but but he did not uh this in a way did fall in his lap and he knows it. And that's why he has to specify and say, this didn't fall into my lap. I earned this. And just like, I'm going to earn my father's love. I mean, I'm like, seriously, there's some real deep issues here that Nate um, puts out in this scene. Uh, and again, the locker room scene, uh, the halftime scene in general, probably the most powerful moment of the show. So let's get into it. Courtney, what are your thoughts on all of this? So I think that, Nate has been powerless his whole life, be it for father reasons, for racial reasons, for any given reason. The first hint of power he ever received was from Ted. And it was rather than being like a a gift and a hug 
like this series is for all of us. It was like blood to a shark. And he wanted to impress Ted the way that he would impress his father. Mm. He wanted to impress his father with like the window table at the restaurant. He wanted to impress Ted with yelling at the players and making them feel like shit. Like he doesn't have that kind of social awareness necessarily that is required, especially for a specific person like a Ted Lasso. And so instead he's become this villain and he, the, when you become that kind of villain person, there is no way you can impress Ted Lasso, the kindest, most optimistic, perhaps in an unhealthy way person in the world. And so he is absolutely falling apart, melting at every seam. And it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely devastating to watch. Yeah. It... And I, it hurts to watch Ted see it happen because you can tell it gets into his head. Like you can see in his conversations with Rebecca later that like that got into his head. He's questioning if he should even be there next season. Yeah. Yeah, and it's I, just so good. It's so good. It's this scene is so, so well executed by the two of them. And um, there's so much context. I mean, this is what you want in a season finale, right? You want there, there is context in this one conversation going back uh, at this point, 21 episodes to the pilot. I mean, there's like, th- this has been building and you get to see it from Nate's perspective as well, because so for like, especially this week, it's been a lot of like, what is Nate's intention behind this? Why is he doing this? And at least now we know, at least now we have, even if it is um, not something that we agree with, we know that his perspective on why this relationship has completely um, frazzled is based on, you know, what he believes his perception of what's going on. Jeremy, what are your thoughts on all of this? Yeah, this scene is, again, this is where Nate becomes pure ego. And it's, mm-hmm. um, cause yeah, the, the, the line that really is the low blow is ship you off to Kansas with your son because Nate knows what that's done to Ted. He knows uh-huh. like, and he probably knows that's the source of the panic attacks and stuff. I mean, like, I, I can't remember if Ted says that exactly when he comes clean to them before the Man City game, but you know, I mean, like he's got to know, and he's got to know that that's the cut that's going to go the deepest. And he still says it anyway. And he says it with such vitriol and such venom. And it's one of those things that like, again, you know, when Ted is then in the locker room, once they say stick with the false nine and he says, okay, we're going to stick with Nate's false nine. I think that right there is literally like him trying to say, we have confidence in what you've done here. Like they have confidence in what you've done here. They want to do your thing. They believe in you, Nate. They believe in what you're putting forth there. And still 
what does he see from it? Oh, they're going to screw it up and they're, you're going to say it's my fault. When would when does Ted ever given Nate or anybody the impression that he would ever do anything like that? And yet and that is all Nate can see now. It is all me, me, me. Now, I don't know what Rupert said to him, to him in his ear at the funeral, but it's probably a lot of like, you deserve to be the boss. You don't need to answer to anyone and everything. Courtney probably has a good sense of this, but like, this is all he is now. He is just pure ego and nothing is going to be there. And it is, he literally has no use for anyone anymore that can't get him to the top. And it really is the full on Darth Vader turn. And he is now full Vader here. He has gone to the point where he no longer, there is no team. There is only him and his decision. And I think that's very common in a lot of team environments. Um, But for Ted and for Richmond, as we've come to know them, even for Jamie, like that's been like Jamie and Nate's journeys have like completely swapped and like they are a team they work together they are happy for each other they work as a unit and Nate can no longer see that and he cannot operate within that he cannot see beyond the individual the ego and it's absolutely devastating to witness this person that you you saw come up from this very sweet point just fall so far and it's so clear that we are now going to get the hopeless we're, we're going to get the the optimistic mindset that like growth mindset um of ted and it's going to be hitting right up against that kind of negative um thoughts of what Nate is bringing to the table. And that is obviously going to be uh, most of our season three or a big through line in our season three, for sure. Um, but we do go back onto the pitch. It, it again, goes through very quickly. The second half of our game, uh, Sam does score. And so it is one nil. And uh, then they, Jamie is penalized right at the end of extra time. And uh, instead of taking the penalty shot himself, Jamie Tart hands the ball over to Danny Rojas, who has not kicked a penalty kick since he killed poor Earl in the first episode of season two. Um, but Danny does take the shot. He does nail it. Of course, they will be promoted. Good job to our Twitter followers, by the way. I put a poll up on this on will they be promoted or will they not? Or will they uh, have a cliffhanger ending and we won't find out if they were promoted? And 80% of you thought that they would be promoted. So I'm uh, really glad that we've got some smart listeners out there. Uh, but Then uh, Ted goes back into his office while everyone else is celebrating. And we referenced it earlier, the off-screen death of the believe sign. Nate is gone. Uh, But then you do hear the team celebrating and they're singing Richmond till we die. And I love that scene as we left it. And then I do want to talk about what happens next. Basically Higgins comes in and, uh, chauffeur Sam right on into the next room where he meets with Edwin Akufu and uh, Sam tells him it was very nice to meet you but sorry I am staying with Richmond and uh, the audience rejoices I think we were very happy to hear that that was the decision Sam Richardson was not happy to hear that decision <laughs> he goes and uh, talks about how he's going to destroy him I mean like I love 
I love Sam's reaction. He's like, whoa, whoa, I wasn't expecting this. Because again, uh, this like facade of being like this compassionate guy that just wants to bring Sam back to uh, Morocco and to buy this team and all this, like, and then, you know, like all that facade is just gone. I will and, buy your childhood home and shit in every room. That and was then I'll poop on the ashes. Then yeah. I'll poop on the ashes. Uh, just everything about that was so great. So uh, any thoughts? Uh, we get some of the team aspect here in the match, Jer. We get some of the, um, we get the response from Akufu to Sam's decision. Anything you want to comment on there? Yeah, no, I mean, like, yeah, Sam Richardson is so great. That just comes out of nowhere. And Sam's reaction is all our reactions. I love that he's, like, sort of laughing at it, too. It's just like, what the hell is up with you right yeah. now, man? Um, so, again, Tahib with a great uh, reaction there. But also just good to, good that Christo gets some redemption here. Um, and he plays that scene so perfect, just really calm, seeing that young dog, that little puppy dog over on the side now, and knowing that, like, from the death comes life, like that Dr. Sharon taught him. Football is life. It's also death. And that that's healthy and stuff. So um, a great little uh, cap on the beginning of the season here um, as well. Um, so, yeah, I, j- I just love these scenes and I love that we're heading back up. And uh, me thinks that there's going to be some matchups with West Ham next year. I would say so for sure. Uh, Courtney, any thoughts before we go into our like basically lightning round scenes of a wrap up here? So that means more <laughs> Rupert. And I love Anthony Storehead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big Buffy fan. Um, I hate Rupert. <laughs> Everyone does. I hate him so much. <laughs> but at least their uh, meetings will be scheduled now. As I like that line as, from Ted. I just want Sassy to be there. I love Sassy. Oh my God. Best line of bring, the series. Bring me Sassy. I want her to be there. As long as she's there, keeping Ted good and, you know, happy. For sure. We'll so I'll be happy. Well, then we go back and we do see a presser uh, that Ted starts to give. Uh, There is no Trent there. We will follow up on that very quickly. Um, And then he does start to say that, you know, he wants to address how we talk about mental health and athletics. And then we cut away from that. Then we do see uh, later that Ted is talking to Rebecca and then Sam walks in and says that he is staying and tells Rebecca essentially that he needs to stay for his own personal journey. And he, he, he's, I think Ted has the line, you know, he was looking at me, but I'm pretty sure he was talking to you during that, which I, I love that too. Uh, then of course we do get to see Trent Krim uh, outside and he has told him now every journalist ever on Twitter decided that they uh, would just trash on Trent Krim for revealing his source. And then it just like, you know, all of a sudden, uh, we do get this uh, like revelation that he is the one that turned himself in for reporting his source. And so now he has been fired, but that's okay because he wanted to range anyway. So then of course they make that now he's Trent Krim independent joke uh, as well. Courtney, your thoughts on any of that? Solid joke. Solid joke for sure. <laughs> Just a solid joke. Uh, and great stuff between Sam and great stuff between Sam and Rebecca as well. Um, and then we do get this kind of uh, scene between Roy, Roy and Keeley. And I'm interested in your perspective on this, Ke- on this, Courtney, because I had said last episode that I'm actually 
feeling stronger about their relationship in uh, the penultimate episode than I was in the previous episode because they had that conversation at the photo shoot. And I feel like these are two people that are coming at things from different perspectives. Roy buys a six week vacation for someone that just started her own PR firm. And in my mind, that's not a great time to take a six week vacation. And so I can kind of understand what Keely is saying here. Like, Roy, you need to go do this. You know, you need the time off, but we're going to be fine. And I truly think that I truly think that this relationship is in a very good position. Am I completely off base here? No, I'm with you. I think that they've, they've had a really healthy relationship. They've been doing so well. And the episode where, um, you know, like the I've got you babe episode where he was just like with her the whole time. This felt like a step back from that where he was like, let's, you know, let's go on this trip together for six weeks. And she was like, I can't do that, but you do this. And then he leaves the ticket. You haven't been on a trip since you were a child. Go on a trip. FaceTime exists. Well, or like, even like, you know, if you want her to come with you, you say like, I'm going to go on this like six week hiatus. You want to come for a couple days? I'm going to, I'm going to pay your you way You want to come for a week? Right. Like six and weeks then, is like, a long time. Go back for two weeks and then come back for another week. Six weeks is so long. It's <laughs> such a long time. Oh my God. <laughs> and I mean, he's like, you know, he's ready for any um, potential pandemic that happens in the world of Ted Lasso because he's got that remote work on lock. He's like, I got exactly. your Wi-Fi. I'm ready to go. Um, but I do feel like uh, obviously this is going to be an ongoing story as we go into season three. But again, I think in the end, I think that Roy is coming at this from maybe a perspective of not having had um, a potentially a serious relationship like this, where he has such heart, like such strong emotions and feelings for someone. And I think he's worried about losing that. Whereas yeah, he's Keely, just like rejected. Yeah. 100%. But I, I do still feel like Keely is there for this. She's uh, been extremely open and honest. I think it's completely reasonable for her to not say, to say, I'm not going on a six week hiatus with you. Uh, so I, I completely, I, I get all that. So then we get our last final two cut scenes. They are Lord of the Rings-esque uh, in nature, because we do get one that says three weeks later, and it shows Sam buying a restaurant that he's going to make into a Nigerian restaurant, which obviously will come back up in season three. And then we get two months later and it pulls out, uh, we're on the pitch. You see uh, team all in black, by the way, which I love the imagery of that as well. And they pull away. And of course we get that final shot of who we assume is manager of the team, Nate, uh, mm. as he is practicing with West Ham United. They don't actually come out and say any of that. But in my mind, that is where everyone's brain would go, correct? We do His see hair has gotten grayer. It's gotten grayer. Yeah. If it could actually get grayer there too. Um, and that is how we end our, our season. I will say that, you know, I, I think the 
the time jump they played with time a lot in this show and especially with those like added episodes beard after hours and the carol the bells but i was kind of a little disappointed in the time jumps only because i was like you know we didn't get to see much of lasso's press conference i think clearly that will be something that plays next season and then we now know that like in nate's world in that time jump Roy has returned from whatever vacation he's went on if he went. And so we didn't get to check in there. So it was kind of like, I want, I was being greedy. I wanted another episode after this episode basically is what I'm, I'm asking for. Jeremy, what do you think? Oh, another Ted Lasso fan wants more Ted Lasso episodes. Um, <laughs> Imagine that. I think that they're back. I think the writers call are back the, now. Call so. the Twitter police. Um, no, it's, um, I, I will say this. There's two great things that work here. So what I think is the reason for the time jumps um, and I agree with you. They were kind of jarring to me. I was like, I was not expecting because I kept checking how much time is left in the episode. I'm like, man, they keep doing this. They got a lot of stuff to wrap up. I think next year, I think the last season, they're going to concentrate a lot more on the soccer. I think that there's going to be a lot more of the football in this one um, because now you have the chief conflict. You've got two Premier League teams. Nate's the head of one. Ted's the head. Ted Beard and, and Roy are the head of the other ones. And now you literally do have this good, evil clash that you can put on the pitch, which is going to be a good thing to watch because there's a lot of people complaining that there's not a lot of soccer um, uh, football in the in the show. But the other thing, again, the continuity of how they're doing this. How did this season open, guys? What was the very first shot of season two? It was a close-up of Nate on the pitch that then panned out to the larger things. And now what's our last shot of season two? It's a wide shot of the pitch that zooms in on now our new Nate face. So again, really the theme of this season was the turning of this, the turning of our sweet Nate the Great into this evil Nate. And I just love the symmetry of those two shots together of how they do that because now we've got the same close-up but two very, very different characters in the same body. And I think that the conflict next year, I don't think, I don't know if he's going to be redeemed. I would love to think that he will be, but I don't know. Like he's gone further than I thought he would um, at the end of this episode. So, but it's going to be the chief conflict next year. And I think we're going to get a lot more football um, centric stuff that gets us there. He murdered the believe sign and you're, you're dead right uh, there, Jeremy, because they did actually sign a deal just now this week with the premier league where they can now use archival footage of premier league games. They can also use the trophy and the likeness of the teams uh, more frequently. So I do think that we will be getting some more uh, sports ball in this upcoming season of Ted Lasso. Uh, any final thoughts on this episode? I know this has been a heck of a wrap up, but we had a lot to discuss. I mean, it was the series finale and we're going to get into Tedisms here in a second, but Courtney, any final thoughts before we get there? I don't care about seeing more soccer, but I do <laughs> care about everything else. You're right. You're right. <laughs> That's perfect. And it's a great way to lead us into our favorite segment of the week. Let's cue up the dulcet tones of Larry Smith. Here comes our Tedisms. Tedisms. For each week, we share biscuits truth. And now, Courtney, you're our guest. So, uh, how this works, just so you know, I know you know. But for any new listeners out there, because apparently we're picking up new listeners all the time, thank you so much for listening. Holy moly. Uh, we just take any quote that we have from the episode uh, or paraphrased quote from the episode, and we put it out there as what our favorite might be. 
regardless if it Ted says it or not, but you get almost bonus points if Ted said it. So mm. Courtney, what's your Tedism? I do have a Ted and it was his entire bit about the starter jacket. Yes. <laughs> it was so good. Right? <laughs> he made me very happy. I, I I tried to I tried to write down the whole thing, but holy moly, like I was just like it was typing, so like I was pausing. I, did, I didn't write the whole <laughs> it thing made down. Me so happy. I didn't you write the, the whole, whole thing. thing down? I didn't write the whole thing down, but I remember some of this, which is you know like that chance along with my Chicago Bulls starter jacket that I loaned to so and so back in high school because she spilled ketchup on her shirt and it looked like she got shot. Those are things I'm never getting back. <laughs> it was so specific because we were. We were the starter jacket generation. Oh, we were. <laughs> uh, I had my name embroidered on the back of mine. Did you all? Oh, no oh way. God. You needed that zipper with the S and the star next to it, man. And I, I will I will tell you what, I'm, I'm sitting here in a, Ted, this is a, goodness gracious, I hope my dad uh, doesn't listen to this podcast. I'm sitting here in a Ted Lasso jersey. My parents got it for me for my birthday. And uh, I, I had sent them like, oh, you know, like here's a Roy Kent jersey. I would love that. My dad saw that they had personalized jerseys, so much like the monogram that he gave me on my uh, starter jacket, he has now made a McFarland, uh, a McFarland uh, Ted Lasso jersey. So if you ever see me out in the wild in a McFarland Ted Lasso jersey, now you know the story behind it. I absolutely love the gift. I will say that if you're listening, dad, thank you so much for that. I really wanted a Charlotte Hornets starter jacket because, because that's the coolest logo because it was purple and blue and those were my <laughs> colors i don't care about charlotte or hornets or basketball or sports <laughs> but i wanted purple and blue represented on my body breaking I old larry johnson's heart for, i haven't followed the nba for a minute i the hornets they're not the hornets anymore right they're no the, they turned into the bobcats and then they turned back into the hornets so we're going full circle man <laughs> oh okay well cool every you know but what's old is new again sure. i guess um i do to follow up on that i actually really liked the beginning of that quote and again i tried to write some of it down but he says we'll make a lot of choices in our lives every single day ranging from am i really going to try and eat something called <laughs> greek yogurt to should i leave my family and take a job halfway across the world me choosing not to be forthright with you was a bad choice. I can't waste time wishing for a do-over and all that. That ain't how choices work. And then it goes into the starter jacket. But like that- I also th don't like Greek yogurt. Yes. In many ways, I am like you, Ted Lasso. <laughs> we are all Ted Lasso, right? I we love sparkling water, but I hate Greek yogurt. I am you, Ted Lasso. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Jeremy, give me some of your Tedisms. Yeah, I'll go rapid fire here. So of course, I am contractually obligated every time Beard says it to do the baby. So horticulture, baby. Um, we have to do that one. Um, I absolutely love Unlike Lieutenant Caffey. I can't handle the truth. Great uh, few good men call out there from uh, Ted Lasso. Um, but the one that really got me, just because I know the old drinking limerick, I'm sure you guys too, no such thing as bad publicity, right? Although I think the, they might have been wrong about that, which is a bummer because they were spot on about the whole beer before liquor thing. <laughs> <laughs> totally totally i love that yeah. um, i had a fun one from beard this is when he's beard is saying you need to confront nate and he says if you keep trying to hold this in i'm afraid your mustache is going to pop off i loved that line and then but what um, comes after my actual what comes up? after that is one of mine and he says i look like that fella from the hangover bradley cooper oh. 
You're too good to me. <laughs> You're too good to me. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and then probably my Tedism, my true Tedism of the episode was a line that could be a throwaway line. It happens very quickly. But Keely says to Rebecca, when they're crying and they're bawling because she's accepting this new job, she says, you helped this panda become a lion. Yeah. And great I just like broke that. my heart. Great callback. <laughs> so great. It was so great. Such a great callback to season one um, and the growth that Keely's shown in this show as well. Oh, oh my goodness. This has been a trip going down man. this with you. This is this is our first this is our first episode that's over an hour. I know that. Uh, but it was worth it because this season finale is tying in so many threads that we had together. Uh, and just again, I can't tell you enough how much we appreciate you listening to us chatter about Ted Lasso uh, and please continue to reach out to us even though we're going to be kind of in the off season here as far as new episodes of Ted Lasso but I do want to tell you our plans going forward I had mentioned that we would take a couple of weeks off to do and then get into season one but I think we're going to just try to keep this train going so what we're going to do is next week uh, we will be discussing our thoughts on season two as a whole and then also uh, giving you maybe some of our predictions of what we might consider may happen in season three that way when season three happens we can show you how wrong we absolutely were uh, <laughs> in our storylines and predictions and then from there we will shortly after that um, not only try to bring you some uh, special guests but then also get into season one and do kind of a rewind of all the season one episodes as well um, but I'm just excited to talk more Ted Lasso with you all please continue to email us at frontrowlasso at gmail.com also follow us on Twitter pbbfrn I do want to put in a plug for all of our other Front Row Network shows because we are in the middle of MonsterCast. And this is a month where Jeremy, as the editor-in-chief, goes berserk and I has never us stop do recording. so many interviews, has us do so many movies. Uh, I will tell you the day that this is coming out, if you are uh, missing my voice already, <laughs> you can jump over to the Beyond the Mouse feed because uh, we have an episode where we reviewed early a copy of Muppets Haunted Mansion. And then we also had the opportunity in that episode to talk to Miss Piggy. You interviewed a pig, Which man. was incredible. <laughs> and then we also talked to the head of the Muppets studio all about Muppets Haunted Mansion as well. So if you want some Disney in your life because you're missing Ted Lasso, go over to Beyond the Mouse. Jeremy, I know you have a lot of interviews, including a couple of really special interviews coming up on MonsterCast. Yeah. Uh, can you direct people to your show on Front Row Network as well? Yeah, absolutely. Just go and like the Front Row Network feed, uh, we just talked to Samantha Sloyan from Midnight Mass. We had a great conversation with her about that whole show. Um, and we have had, have an interview coming up with Tony Todd, the Candyman himself, is going to be coming on the show uh, to talk about his career in horror. Uh, so there, there's tons and tons of stuff coming up here for the network, tons of interviews. And I think on Friday, uh, I just released an episode a couple days ago on the new Netflix interactive film, Escape the Undertaker, because I'm a WWE fanatic as well um it's a trip man it's something uh, i'm really so interested gonna... <laughs> in that and that uh i saw that on the schedule and i was like "Ooh, i haven't watched wrestling in a long time but that it's... interests me yeah uh, now i saw <laughs> i saw courtney's eyes uh really pop when you said that you had the Candyman coming on. So uh, it even impressed Tony Courtney Inlow. i liked it that's right man we're gonna be talking to tony todd i was uh, already really excited about uh 
Beverly Keen. Oh my God! Badass. You need to you need to listen because she is she is fantastic, man. It's an, uh, it's an amazing conversation. She seems lovely. That character. Oh, I have such strong feelings. <laughs> so you can find most of that content by just searching for Front Row Network on uh, any podcast app that you'd like, and then you'll get a lot of the Monster Cast stuff throughout the month of October. Courtney, I plugged your Twitter a little earlier, but truly. You are um, maybe you you win Twitter. I don't know. Can oh, you man. win? You always you win, Twitter. win Twitter. So well, can you tell people where they can find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Court Enlow. Um, recent stuff. Uh, you can find me. Um, I wrote a piece for Vulture. Um, I have a piece upcoming. A uh, little preview for y'all. Uh, I have a piece coming for Nerdist. I have some upcoming pitches. They're coming. <laughs> and i'll tell uh, y'all when they happen it's amazing everybody should be following courtney <laughs> she is the best follow on twitter Everyone i knows am that. working on a book the book will happen when it happens nice. y'all you... it takes a really long time to write a book <laughs> absolutely and uh hopefully you can add on to that uh frequent guest on peanut butter and biscuits if i I'm gonna can be come very awkward and uh, talk and... about my ladies there you go <laughs> that's right we definitely needed it because uh earlier we had some comment we had some early emails come in and they were like we love your show but where are the ladies at so we're so glad it was just a blast getting to talk to you and getting to break down ted lasso don't worry everyone we will continue to talk ted lasso with you and just again thank you for supporting us and thank you for listening so for peanut butter and biscuits i am craig mcfarland i'm jeremy geckner and as always be a goldfish Thank you for listening to this episode of the Front Row Network, a proud Community Voices member of National Public Radio Illinois. For more from the Front Row Network, including our articles or our other dozens of shows, visit thefrontrownetwork.com or nprillinois.org slash programs slash network. You can also find us on social media by searching for the Front Row Network on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, and on Twitter at Front Row Reviews with a Z.